0: Hi, welcome to episode three of Voices the Podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and today I'm speaking with Frankie de about counseling and outpatient programs. She's the director for Lewis and Clark Problem Gambling Services, and she was so knowledgeable and so insightful. I really enjoyed this interview. So join me for Voices, the podcast. Okay, welcome to episode three of Voices the Podcast. I'm Brian, your host, and today I'm sitting here with Frankie de Did I pronounce that correctly?
1: Yes, very good. (laughs) Good.
0: Okay. So um, today we're going to be talking about uh, counseling and outpatient services kind of in general, um, what they can offer, some of the... um, some of the perks to it and some of the hope that it might be able to bring some people. So, but I do like to start with just kind of getting an idea of where you're coming from. So how did you end up? First, I'd like your official title Mm -hmm. and then kind of how you, how you got there.
1: Awesome. Um, so let's see my official title. So currently I'm the director of the Lewis and Clark Prom Gambling Services in Portland, Oregon. Um, and let's see, how did I end up where I'm at right now? So this is, um, uh, personally, gambling actually has been um, within my family. Um, okay. So um, it was embedded and still is embedded in my family. And as I was growing up, I was um, it was there, but it wasn't really talked about, mm-hmm. um, which um, we, we know can happen. So as I was getting older and I was pursuing my education and pursuing graduate school for counseling, um, I found Lewis and Clark where they actually had um, a specific uh, training and education in gambling addiction specifically. So I was like, wow, there actually is this out there where um, this is an issue and people are getting trained in it. Um, so I immediately was interested because of my own um, family experience with gambling. And so I came through Lewis and Clark, and when I was a student, I did uh, some work at the Lewis and Clark Problem Gambling Services, um, and it was a really, really transformative experience for me Um just being able to learn that this issue is a lot more prevalent than I thought, Mm -hmm. Um, that there's a lot of people that, um, a lot of individuals and families that are being impacted. Um, And so I did my time as a student here at this clinic, graduated, got some really good experience in the field. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the opportunity came up where the director position was, was opening and um, I applied and here I am,
0: okay. a
1: full circle experience. A full circle experience.
0: <laughs> so uh, do you see that a lot where people coming through maybe don't recognize that gambling is so prevalent and then they're like, oh, this is something that affects me. So particularly with the people that you see coming in as students, is there are there similar stories where mm-hmm. like people's family members have suffered from?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think the way that I describe it to a lot of students is that it's almost like I'm going to pull the curtain back. And then you're going to see this, and then you're not going to be able to unsee it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once people start noticing like, oh, every restaurant or bar that I go into, there's video poker and... Um, there's billboard signs everywhere, and there's that little organ crossed of the fingers yes. sign. right, <laughs> yeah, um.
0: or, or the sign language R. Uh, right, you know, that's,
1: right, exactly. <laughs> so. That's kind of how
0: I think of it now. I don't know what it means, but it's just like it's not luck, that's for sure. It's, it's
1: not good. luck, no, it is not. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a really cool experience to watch the students come in um, who are counselors in training, really curious about gambling, and then once we really start talking about it, Um, And how embedded it is in our culture, Mm -hmm. Um, not just with it being in bars and restaurants, um, but also within family traditions and um, maybe traditions at the workplace and raffles and bingo. And it's just so much more embedded in our community than we're aware of. And so people get really interested and passionate because they're recognizing it not only within their family, but friends and larger community. And people get really excited about making an impact.
0: Yeah, right. Right. So talking about that impact, uh, so uh, Problem Gambling Services Lewis and Clark Mm -hmm. uh, offers, it's an outpatient counseling program, correct?
1: Yeah, so we're an outpatient uh, problem gambling treatment um, service, and all the clinicians here are in their um, second or third year of their graduate program, so they're clinicians in training, and Mm -hmm. they have um, extensive uh, gambling addiction Uh, training and education and then are are being supervised by, um, some pretty well, uh, experienced clinicians. Uh Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Um, so outpatient programs, Mm -hmm. I just realized how often I say so, (laughs) I I think I noticed it in the last episode too. Anyway. Um, so, (laughs) So the outpatient program, uh, I think a lot of people are, are pretty familiar with inpatient treatment, what that looks like. You check yourself in for a, for a particular amount of time. And then, you know, they're, they kind of tell you what you're going to do for that amount of time. And then Mm -hmm. they kind of cut you loose into the world, maybe with some kind of transition. What is outpatient care Mm -hmm. and what are some of the benefits to it?
1: Absolutely. It's a good question. So, with our program outpatient services looks like getting into individual couples or family counseling. So we offer offer all three, um, because we know that gambling is not only impacting the individual, um, who's doing the gambling, but also the whole family, potentially their friends. We have people who bring in their friends for counseling as well. Um, In an outpatient setting, it typically looks like seeing your counselor once a week, maybe for individual counseling, and then also another appointment per week for couples or family counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, We also offer groups. So depending on um, what you feel like you're capable of doing and what your counselor feels like would be beneficial, um, the amount of times you come in per week is kind of up for you to to decide. So if someone's like, yeah, I really need some assistance and I need more support, we can do multiple appointments a week where you're going to group couples counseling, individual counseling. Um, or if you're just like, you know, I can commit to one hour a week and this is what I have right now, then, um, that's possible as well. Right. So it's pretty flexible. Our program is really unique in that way where we're really just meeting the person or family where they're at. Mm -hmm. Um, and we make treatment goals and it's not a time limited like a inpatient is where it's usually a 30, 60, um, 65 day program. This Mm -hmm. is what you have. We're trying to shove everything in, um, outpatient and our program specifically. We have a lot more flexibility of figuring out what are your specific goals, um, within yourself and with your family. Um, and that may take three months, six months, a year. we've got people who have been here for multiple years and you can stop and come back. Um, yes, you can, (laughs) which is a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah. um, When, when I was receiving treatment, one of my, one of my favorite parts of it was, like you said, it kind of meets you where you are. It's not super disruptive. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was able to continue my job. I was able to, you know, still engage with my family Mm -hmm. freely. And I was still very much able to live my life. This was just a a piece of time that I had to carve out, um, for my recovery. Mm -hmm. How well, does this fit in with other programs of recovery? So say somebody is interested in seeing a counselor to kind of unload, you know, what all the stuff that they're dealing with, um, and say that they're going to like a 12 step, you know, Mm -hmm. how, how well do those two intertwine with each other? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. What we know is that the more support and community that you can develop, um, the, the The more sustainable your recovery is going to be. So, what we see is most beneficial is that people will come in here with the counselor, meeting them once a week, and then there are twelve-step meetings. GA, there's SMART Recovery, there's other community recovery um, groups out there where you can receive a different level or different um, type of services and support that a counselor can't provide. Sure. So um, that's an added benefit where you're talking to your counselor once a week, it's an, a, it's an appointment, um, you're talking about specific things, and then you go to your 12-step meeting or your SMART meeting or any other recovery-related meeting in the community and um, you're, you're talking with someone with lived experience, there's um, less restriction and boundaries there around what you can talk about and when you can talk and exchange numbers yeah. and there's There's just more support in that way. So we see that that tends to be really helpful when you're having, um, both, uh, support systems in
0: place. Right. Mm -hmm. Which was my next question. Uh, are you seeing, and maybe this is a hard figure to see, but are you seeing any figures that suggest that doing both, Mm -hmm. um, has a higher success rate? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I would say Yes. The gambling or any um, addiction, for that matter, wants to keep you pretty isolated. Mm-hmm. So the more that people can seek support in multiple places, um, the, the less the gambling has to kind of take hold of them. Right. So the more people you have in your corner, the less the gambling is going to be able to impact you. Mm-hmm. So we do see that the more support, if you're in a recovery community, like, again, GA, Smart Recovery, Refuge Recovery, and also in an outpatient setting... Um, people just feel more um, supported and have more resources. When the gambling is trying to claw its way back in, it's like, no, no, I've got, I've got other resources that I can use right now.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I liked to think of it as like a foundation in a house. And you know, when you're building up the foundation, it's typically on some sort of stilt, you Mm -hmm. know, the foundation has its own support. Mm -hmm. And then as you pull those stilts away, as you pull those reinforcers away, you really get a sense of how well the foundation took. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of what I noticed as I was evolving through and kind of, you know, re, um, reassessing what steps to take all that was mm-hmm. that, you know, as I started to pull these away, um, the foundation that it had helped, you know, build up sure. was able to hold a lot more successfully right. than if you were to just put it on like one stilt Absolutely. and then all of a sudden things start to teeter. So yeah. yeah. Um, I, I personally noticed that it was this kind of conglomeration of Mm -hmm. a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. And I was able to take a little bit from all of it. um, And that, you know, and I mean, as of now, you know, two and a half years later has proven pretty successful. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I would just I just want to add to that, too. I mean, it's it's about these recovery support systems. And it's also about working, you know, with your counselor and other support systems of like, what else has the gambling taken away? Mm -hmm. Whether that's, spending time with friends, whether that's playing the guitar, whether that's going on hikes, whether that's going to an art class. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's also about, um, cause I think a lot of people fear of like, well, I'm going to be going to treatment and then doing all this recovery stuff and recovery, recovery, recovery. And that's yeah. all my
0: life is going to be for the rest of my life. Right. Like, right. I'm, I'm committing only to that. And yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And I just want to say too, that that's, um, you know, that can feel like that. And you know, once you're starting to feel pretty comfortable in um, your support systems, and it's really start starting to branch out and be like, okay, what what was I doing that I really enjoyed that the gambling kind of diverted my attention, right? And getting those back into your life as well, because those are those are pretty foundational things too. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what are some of the techniques that are used here? Um, I noticed that when I was coming from SMART and Twelve Step, I was able to pretty openly talk about the ideas and principles of those programs with the counselors here that seemed pretty knowledgeable of them. So what, what's the, what's the trick? How, how is it that you guys are able to kind of have this really, um, malleable, uh, language with people that come in for services? Yeah,
1: I think that's a good question. So, I mean, first and foremost, um, we view humans as humans, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's so much stigma And um, stereotype around what someone who's addicted to anything looks like or acts like. And um, particularly with gambling addiction, too, I think there's a lot of um, just stigma in the community. Mm -hmm. So for us, first and foremost, our value is to meet the person as the person, not as the addict, not as the um, bad person. Mm -hmm. Um, This is uh, the gambling is kind of has its fingers in you, (laughs) its claws, Mm -hmm. and we're trying to get the gambling um, away. So I think using a lot of person-first language, a lot of um, um, strength-based treatment uh, interventions is really, really important to kind of decrease the shame Mm -hmm. because that happens when there's stigma and stereotypes. Um, And that helps build trust so that someone can come in here and be like, hey, this counselor is viewing me as me, not as... an addict, not as a bad person. Um, there's no judgment here that I can really openly talk about that. I'm still gambling and why is it happening and what I'm actually getting from the gambling and what I'm not getting from the gambling. Mm -hmm. Um, so it really starts with a level of respect and trust. Um, it's kind of the foundation Sure. Um, and then from there, you know, uh, we really strive to figure out what's working nationally and internationally mm-hmm. in terms of reading up on the research, current research. Um, and so some of the interventions we do, um, you know, are being researched nationally, um, to figure out, okay, what is the best way of being able to tackle this? Yeah. Cause the gambling is pretty pervasive.
0: Yeah. As it turns out, it can be, um, <laughs> Now thought exercise for you. Uh, cause I heard it said somewhere and I can't remember what sure. program it was a part of, but there is no bad motivation, right? So I think a lot of people when they're first into recovery, they're experiencing a lot of shame, mm-hmm. a lot of kind of depleted self-worth. And so I would imagine that a lot of people that come in would say things like, I'm doing this for my family. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this because I need my kids back. And, mm-hmm. and you know, one of those stigmas that you talk about is when people say things like, you got to do this for you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not doing it for you, then you won't succeed. Is there anything to that? Or are we yeah. seeing that there really is no bad motivation? It's about building up those motivations until a person can kind of see the self-worth. For in sure. It too.
1: That's a great question. I think it'll probably depend on who you talk to. Mm. Um, for me personally, my, I'm like, whatever gets this person into the door. Right. Um, because there are so many pressures and insecurities and steps to even make the first phone call, mm-hmm. much less step into the clinic for the first time. So I don't care what the reason is. Um, I'm just happy that this person came in to treatment and sought help, um, for whatever reason. What we find is that if it's an external motivator, like my partner wants me to do this, or I don't, you know, I want to lose my job or whatever it is. Um, a lot of times if they continue to work at it and they're here for a little while. We find that there's typically some internal motivation Mm -hmm. that the gambling is really working on your emotions and it's making you feel really guilty and it's making you lose time with your kids. And, um, we really get to how the gambling's not allowing you to live within your value system. Yeah. Which really increases that kind of internal motivation. So I really don't care why someone's walking in the door. <laughs> <laughs> we also see mandated clients, you know, we're starting sure. to see that more where. Um, the gambling has gotten them into some legal trouble and some judges are starting to understand like, Hey, maybe this person needs treatment instead of jail time. Um, and so with that person, maybe it is the external motivation. Um, but once they get here, we have people who are, have completed their mandate and they continue with treatment, um, on their own. Right.
0: And we are seeing that. In fact, I would love to do an episode with some member of the legal community to talk about the idea of recovery above, you know, incarceration, Mm -hmm. Um, because we are seeing that when people are kind of given that, that chance, that, that opportunity to make right, you know, I mean, certainly was in my case, very effective, Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm being entrusted with something not unlike doing service work where all of a sudden there's a little bit more accountability to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so the, you know, without <laughs> pardon the term, the stakes are higher, sure. you know? Um, so yeah, I would, yeah, that was just a random thought. I would love to be able to do an episode on that. That'd be great. Yeah. So if you know anybody, I let, will let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we were talking about motivators. We were talking about, uh, people's self-worth one question that I get asked a lot is about time frames. Mm-hmm. You know, how long until I start to feel this way, a b c, whatever. Mm-hmm. Are are we seeing any trends? I mean, is it is it absolutely a person by person basis or is there any kind of like sliding scale that we can see some progress at a 6-month mark and, you know, like are there any rates like that that you're aware of? Mm -hmm. No pressure.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have any specific research to back up any of my opinions. Mm -hmm. um, But I do think that, um, you know, if a person's engaged in treatment for a couple of months, um, they will start to see um, some... I mean, everyone's going to make different... The progress is going to look different, Yeah. right? So we're going to start seeing some progress likely in the first couple of months. Does that mean someone's going to feel great and... Um, even if they've stopped gambling, is their life going to, um, bounce back? Yeah. And what I tell people is that think about how long you, the gambling was in your life, um, that created this environment now, Mm. um, going into treatment for a couple of months, um, isn't going to reverse all that. So as much time as you've invested, um, with the gambling, uh, is likely going to be, I mean, obviously not as As long, but we need to make an investment in treatment too, and in recovery. So it does take time. It is um, person by person, Um, but what we see is that long-term recovery and support is is necessary. So that may be six months a year in treatment, and then a break and maybe a little touch-up, you know, after that first year. It could be six months of treatment and then getting a peer mentor and being really engaged in, a, in the uh, 12-step community or GA or SMART. So I don't think it's... Um, you come into treatment for six months, you make a lot of progress, and then you're never having to worry about it again. Right. right. So it'll look different for everyone, but mm-hmm. I think um, it's going to be... A, it has to be integrated into life um, somehow.
0: Yeah. And you know, not only integrating, you know, recovery into your life, but kind of integrating your life into recovery too. Mm -hmm. So maybe it does mean modifying certain things. Like I'm a musician. I play in bands that are pretty consistently playing in bars that have Mm -hmm. machines in them. Um, You know, that can be, that can be something, you know, really kind of a red flag. Um, So it does become kind of using the aspects of your life that aren't necessarily recovery but using them for recovery so having my band mm-hmm. kind of help me to keep distracted or whatever it is Absolutely. while we're there um can also prove really helpful at least in my case mm-hmm. so um yeah is there anything else that you really want to kind of focus on and talk about
1: um i think one thing that that we talked about earlier that i had a thought that came up was just that um Recovery can can feel like you're, you're being isolated, right? Because you do have to modify some things in your life Like you said, and I think specifically with gambling recovery it can be, feel even more isolating because um, Alcohol and drug treatment or AA and NA are really known mm-hmm. um, and so I just wanted to say that there is um, a Community of people who are struggling with gambling right. um, You have to kind of seek out and do a little bit of kind of searching but but they're out there Um, And that's one thing that I do particularly love about um, our treatment services here is that we do try to have, um, we want to work really closely with mentors in the community. We want to stay up to date of what's going on in GA and SMART. We want to connect people to those meetings and we also have community events here at the clinic Mm -hmm. to um, invite people who are struggling who are clients who are not clients who are family members just to have a space of like hey there are there are more of us out here that can come together and make a big change and support each other Um, because i think initially if someone's not used to treatment for gambling um they don't really know where to look and they're like, is there a community out there, Mm -hmm. um, struggling with this and that can, can help. Right. And, um, there is, there is
0: great. So somebody, um, you know, somebody has, you know, taken that step to recognize that there is a problem. Uh, They have an unhealthy relationship with gambling. How do they contact you?
1: Yeah. Multiple ways. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can call us directly. Um, five zero three seven six eight six three two five um but you can also uh, uh look online we have lewis and clark prom gambling services you can call the one eight seven seven my limit number mm-hmm. um, you can also go on the opgr website and type in your zip code and it'll actually show you the most uh, the closest treatment center um, to where, where you are. Um, so if it's not us, find, find a place that, that is close to you, that, that fits within your values and that's convenient. Um, just find something.
0: Are you aware of any national hotlines that, because at this point, like we're getting listeners up in Canada. Um, so do do you know of any kind of broader spectrum so that it's not necessarily Oregon specific, but you know, anybody, somebody in, in Atlanta, could call this national hotline and get resources in their area. Yeah. Are you aware?
1: A good website is the ncpg.org. So it's the National Council on Problem Gambling. Um, They have a whole bunch of resources Mm -hmm. um, nationally. Mm -hmm. So they'll have the national hotline number. They'll have um, your state and provide uh, treatment centers within your state and your city. Um, So that's a really good resource for people to go to if they're not in Oregon.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. Last question. Sure. <laughs> I know, I know uh, that I've had you here for quite a while. So, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about co-occurring mm. uh, disorders. And, um, so we're talking about addiction and, mm-hmm. um, some sort of, uh, mental illness, mental health concern, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of give you a platform. I think that's to talk so important. Thank it. you
1: for bringing that up, Brian. Yeah. I mean, what we know is that most people who are struggling with gambling or any addiction for that matter, there is some underlying um anxiety or depression or stress or relational issue. Right. Um that is can be really driving the gambling. So, um, it's really common. I think the number is around 75% of people who come in to gambling treatment also are struggling with some kind of mental health symptom as well. Um, and, and I'll speak to my program specifically that this is something that is integrated into treatment. Mm. So if we, if you're coming in and saying, I am really depressed, the gambling is the one thing that makes me feel not depressed. Um, or makes me doesn't, makes me not feel at all. Um, we are going to take a look at both of those things. We're going to say, okay, it looks like the depression is also really, really present. Mm. Um, and let's take a look at how those two things play off of each other. And we need to be addressing both. Yeah. So that's really critical.
0: Sort of a triage mentality of like, let's figure out what's the most devastating and try to address that first. I would say, probably typically it's uh the hemorrhaging of money let's get Mm -hmm. that at least get a safety plan involved for that Mm -hmm. and then we can kind of do this deep dive into other things yeah
1: and i think it's really important to state this um and i didn't say this earlier is that we are not an abstinence based program Mm -hmm. so if someone's coming in here saying okay the gambling is gotten way out of control um, it's not our job to say, yeah, this is what you need to do. Um, no, if you say, you know, I really want to try to see if I can cut back. I want to see if I can put limits. I want to see if I can just, you know, do this once a year on my trip. Um, we're going to meet you where you're at with that. Um, and with that being said, um, when it comes to the mental health and gambling piece, um, it's always interesting to take a look at, um, when the gambling goes down, if we're trying to decrease, usually the underlying symptoms of anxiety or depression go up. And so, what we really want to work on is what are some coping skills for those underlying anxiety and depression symptoms? Right. Um, because if th- that's not addressed, the gambling is going to be sitting there looking really pretty. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, it's about addressing that, too.
0: Yeah. Uh, good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah, I feel like you did such a good job of explaining. I wanted to kind of figure out a way to wrap that all up in a pretty little bow. But I think you did a fantastic job. <laughs> so um, with that, Frankie, I thank you for joining us uh, today. And, thank you. really um, important. is there really any, important. any final thought that you want to throw out there?
1: Well, I just want to thank you um, oh, sure. for this platform. I think this is really important. Again, um, this can be a really isolating thing. And so the more that we can reach out to each other and the more that we can, um, you know, be accessible of uh, treatment and help and just hear other people's stories, Um, is really, really important. So thank you.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And um, I guess that'll do it for today. Okay. Okay. I want to thank Frankie for joining us today. If you want more information about VPGR and what it is that we do, you can visit us at vpgr.org. Make sure you follow Voices the Podcast on Facebook and let us know how we're doing. Next month is Problem Gambling Awareness Month, and I think we've got something pretty special planned. Something that we haven't done before, and something that we're really excited about. So make sure you stay tuned to Voices, the podcast.